Greetings, this is Anne Wynn, Senior Associate Conference Producer with Cambridge Health Tech Institute. We're here for a podcast for the 3D Cellular Models Conference at World Preclinical Congress 2017, taking place this June 12th through 16th in Boston, Massachusetts. Today, we're talking with one of our speakers, also a chairperson and breakout discussion moderator, Dr. Mohamed Kiani, Professor of Mechanical Engineering, Bioengineering, and Radiation Oncology at Temple University. Mohamed, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Can you describe your current projects at Temple University and how the resources there are contributing to your research goals and to the field of drug discovery and validation? Just to get started, I want to thank you for the opportunity to talk to you, but also tell you a little bit about my background. I have a very interdisciplinary background that includes two, three areas of engineering and radiation oncology and biological sciences and more recently, more immunology and things like that. So I have a very interdisciplinary background, and the type of work that I do spans several different disciplines, and so I have a number of collaborations with people from both engineering sciences and medical school and so on. So my work kind of spans several different fields, and I think that's the way good work is being done these days. Interdisciplinary work is the way good and productive work is being done these days. So more specifically, my work my general expertise is in areas of microcirculation, blood flow, and the particle interaction, leukocyte endothelial interaction, and how the immune response functions at the microcirculatory level. A couple of areas that we are specifically involved in is one is this area of microfluidics. We are developing using microfluidic devices for a better understanding the immune response and the vasculature in various tissue, including normal and diseased tissue. And then we also have another kind of related area, which is targeted drug delivery. We are developing various particulate nanoparticle type drug delivery system for targeting tumor tissue and also to some of the areas like cardiac tissue and things like that, and also trying to deal with after effects of inflammation. And then we also do some work in terms of understanding how ionizing radiation impacts the tissue and it's more specifically how it impacts small vessels and the inflammatory response. In doing this kind of work, we are collaborating with a number of people, both locally and other institutions, as I said, in engineering, in biomedical sciences, and in medical school and clinical areas. So, for example, in the microfluidic work, we are developing a new generation of microfluidic devices that I can talk in more detail if you want. And that's in collaboration with a couple of companies here in Philadelphia and more specifically with a company in Huntsville, Alabama, in Vivo. But then also we have people from the engineering involved who help us with understanding some of the fluid mechanics aspects of this work, and then also some people from the computer science who help us developing some of the imaging techniques for these systems. And then we also collaborate with Dr. Kilpatrick, for example, in the medical school, who's an immunologist, to develop a new generation of anti-inflammatory compounds for treating uh, inflammatory disease. And then we also collaborate with uh, people from other schools who provide us with some of the reagents and some of the expertise that we need to use these devices to develop and screen for various applications. What are the most persistent or significant challenges you've encountered when developing microfluidic systems with human representative architecture for drug screening, and how has your work addressed them? Microfluidics, as you may know, have been around for a while now, and I think some of the early work was done by our group and other groups to develop these, and they are in the process of becoming one of the standard tools that we use for screening and developing and validating various therapeutics. I think in our work from very early on, we have had 
several principles that we have tried to stick to. One of the main issues that we've always looked at is how complex do these systems need to be versus what you see in vivo and what you would, let's say, compare to human tissue. And then do we have enough complexity? Do we have too much complexity? And more importantly, do we have the right type of complexity? So, for example, one of the things that we have been very conscious of is that since the vasculature is at the core of almost every tissue in the body, and that's essentially where a lot of the interesting and important processes, biological and biomedical processes, occur, we have put that at the center of our work. Almost all the microfluidic devices that we have worked with and we have helped develop or we have used have the microvascular system at the core of the system that we have developed. So every system that we have has a microvascular system, and the tissue compartments, for example, various tissue compartments that are built around that microvasculature. And we think that's, that's the type of complexity that needs to be in these types of devices. Just simply putting some parenchymal cells, we don't think is enough to, for example, call it a liver on a chip. We think without the vasculature, the system would really not be realistic, especially if you're talking about developing therapeutics and validating therapeutics. And in that sense, we have developed systems, for example, that have been used now for mimicking the immune response at the microvascular level, and we've had a lot of success with those. We have developed, for example, a blood-brain barrier system, again, built around the vasculature that has been you know, successful. We have also developed some tumor models that we have used for these kinds of purposes, and so on, and several you know, different types of tissue on a chip. One of the issues uh, that we have been very careful is that you can build all kinds of for the lack of a better word, cute microfluidic devices that look very nice and have all kinds of features in them and things like that. But the central question is, how does this relate to in vivo systems? Can you use and can you validate these systems in vivo? And more importantly, how would you validate them against human tissue, which is the more important issue at the end? So every system that we have developed has been validated against some kind of animal model. And we think that's critical to show that at least your system can reproduce what you see in an animal model, because otherwise the system might be technically interesting and challenging, but in terms of its applications, it probably won't be well received in the community. And then the bigger question, of course, is how do you validate this for human application and human use? Our view has always been that if we at least can show that it corresponds well to what we see in vivo in an animal model, let's say, then there is a chance, there is a better chance, let's say, that this would also work when you put human cells in there and human tissues in there. And so we think this would have a much better chance. The other athlete, the other kind of tilt to our research has been that, as I said, there have been a lot of different, by now there has been a lot of different types of microfluidic devices that have been developed. But the question is, have any of them been really used for real-world applications? And I think the answer is kind of a yes for if you're talking about drug toxicity, that's a very popular application of these kinds of things, you know, testing drugs to see if they're toxic to tissue or to cells and things like that. However, the type of systems that we have developed can do both screening and toxicity of various compounds that may be of interest for treating diseases. So, for example, one of the things that we have developed is, as you may know, is that there is a lot of interest in developing therapeutics for treating the immune disease. And so we have been using our, our microfluidic system to screen and assess significance and work of 
novel therapeutic that we are developing, PKC Delta TAT peptide that we think can go a long way in addressing some of the issues that we have with inflammatory disease. The other aspect of this whole thing is as we get closer and closer to using these microfluidic devices for, let's say, testing drugs and for validating drugs and things like that, using, let's say, human cells and human tissue, and hopefully getting the FDA to agree to this as a kind of a standard for testing these drugs and for validating these drugs, the question of reproducibility becomes very critical. And specifically, the system that you are using currently, let's say, to validate a drug, does this system work in other people's hands as well? Or is it just something that you are doing in your lab and, you know, some specific system that you have in your lab that may be of interest? That's important, and that's the reason we have, from very early on, we have collaborated with this company, Sindivo, in Alabama, and they are using a commercial product rather than an in-house development of these systems, because if we are to get to a point, as I said, that, for example, FDA would approve these things, we would have a better chance of getting FDA to approve these as a standard platform for testing and validating drugs if these systems are standard. And if these systems are such that everybody is using kind of similar systems or the same system, hopefully, so that the results are comparable between different groups, very much similar to when we use an animal model, let's say a mouse model, that 357 black that everybody uses. And the data from different laboratories can be compared and corroborated from different experiments. You'll discuss a biomimetic microfluid assay for rapid screening of anti-inflammatory drugs during the conference on June 15th. What's the main theme you'd like to convey to your peers in the audience and the research community? So as I briefly mentioned before, inflammatory disease is a big concern, and I think it's attracting more and more attention in clinical situations. These days, there are very few diseases out there that don't have at least some kind of an inflammatory component to them. And so this is a big problem. And of course, there are diseases such as sepsis, for example, kill hundreds of thousands of people a year. And these are essentially, you know, inflammatory diseases. And there are many other ones like that. And so understanding the inflammatory response is very important. And developing therapeutics to treat them is also very important. One example is that in the recent years, for example, there has been about 150 drugs, anti-inflammatory drugs that have been developed in animal models to treat sepsis. But all of these drugs have failed in clinical trials. So just let me repeat this. I mean, I think this is important. About 150 different drugs in the past 10, 15 years have been developed that have been you know, developed using animal models, and none of them, zero, have worked in a clinical situation. This has created a situation where people are now making all kinds of comments about the, even the viability of animal models. And of course, a lot of it is exaggerated. I mean, it got to a point in two, three years ago where New York Times had this big headline article that said, you know, much money and time has been wasted developing animal models for treating sepsis. And then in the article, they kind of implied that animal models are of no use and things like that, which of course is an exaggeration. Of course, animal models are important. But I think the issue of, for example, going from animal models to human disease is an important issue. And there are, of course, many components to it, from genetic variability, from the type of cells that you get, from the phenotypes that are different even within from one tissue to another. For example, the phenotype of endothelial cells in the liver are different from the phenotype of endothelial cells in the brain. And so I think it's very important to be conscious of this fact that animal models have their use and are, of course, very important. But when you go from an animal model to a human application, it's very important to have 
models that can help us develop these things specifically for humans. So that has been one of the core areas, as I said before, that we have been pursuing in developing the microfluidic systems. And the microfluidic systems that we have have all been validated against in vivo data. And so we have now started using them for screening and validating different anti-inflammatory compounds to see how they could be used to at least predict the possible success of these models in humans and also in animals. So one scenario, for example, that we have been pursuing is even before we do expensive and time-consuming animal studies, can we get some animal cells, put it in our microfluidic system, test the system against novel anti-inflammatory therapeutic, and see whether it has any response, whether it does anything. For example, can it downregulate the inflammatory response in these animal cells? And if it does, then you at least have some idea that it may work in animal studies. And then, let's say you do your animal studies and you see, okay, it, there is some correspondence between what you find in the microfluidic system and in the animal model. Then you could do the same thing with human cells. You could come back, use your microfluidic system, put human cells in there, which is these days relatively straightforward, develop the microfluidic system using human cells, test your anti-inflammatory therapeutic again on human cells and see whether you're getting any kind of response. And this is important for two reasons. One is that, of course, you get some mechanistic ideas as to how this drug may work, how this new therapeutic may work or may not work, and what are the reasons behind it, which will allow you to optimize it at a later time. But maybe it will also give you at least some idea of if this drug is going to be successful if you start putting it in humans which is kind of what I was saying before in terms of marching towards hopefully a period where these kinds of microfluidic devices become a standard method for screening drugs while you're working with the FDA to get approval. And hopefully this will speed up the screening of drugs and shorten the amount of time that you spend working with animal models and reduce this, whatever it is, 10, 11 years that it takes for a compound to get from early stage to the market, maybe reduce that by a significant amount of time. So that has been the direction that we've been going, and that's what I want to talk about when we come to the conference. Of a specific interest, for example, is a new compound that we are developing, anti-inflammatory compound that we are developing in collaboration with Dr. Kilpatrick in the medical school here, the PKC Delta peptide that has shown great promise, we think, in treating sepsis. And some of the work, early work that we have done, which was just published as a featured on the cover of Journal of Leukocyte Biology at the end of 2016, shows that this drug has a lot of promise in treating sepsis and maybe other inflammatory diseases. But the way we approached this study was that we started with the microfluidic system and we tested the system in the microfluidic system to show that it has some promise in both animal cells and human cells. Then we validated this in animal models, and now we are doing some more studies with human cells and, and also with animal cells so that to at least get a sense, a predictive sense of what the promise of this drug may be uh, for treating sepsis in humans. And that's the direction and that's the approach that we are taking, and we are hoping that this will contribute to this idea of using these microfluidic systems for rapid screening of drugs and validating various therapeutics.
That was Muhammad Kiani of Temple University. He'll be speaking during the 3D Cellular Models Conference at World Preclinical Congress 2017, taking place this June 12th through 16th in Boston, Massachusetts. To learn more from him, visit www.worldpreclinicalcongress.com slash 3D hyphen cellular hyphen models for registration info and enter the key code podcast. This is Anne Wynn. Thank you for listening.